And Lord, because there is no one higher than you, we just come to this place and present ourselves before you. That, Father, you would teach us and instruct us, that you would lift us up. That, Father, in the midst of all that is going on in this world, we just pray that you would strengthen us through the power of your might. I pray, Father, that we would be prepared for all good works. And I just pray, Lord, as we're faithful, Lord, that you would just enable us in this great ministry. We lift up Florida right now and just pray, Father, that you would use these difficult things that are going on for your good. Pray, Father, for as much as depends upon us at Calvary Chapel, Ontario, that we would be prepared to enter into these good works as well. So, Father, we just pray that you would teach us and instruct us in this place. One more time, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? You just overlook me. and you her. Well, she's, they, something must be up with her because nobody wants to sit next to her. Hopefully you cleaned your shirt. Okay, good. <laughs> we are in the book of 2 Kings tonight. We'll be picking up in chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll be starting at verse 1. Second Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1, And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Tonight we are going to go through the whole of the chapter. We'll be dividing chapter 2 into two parts. First, we're going to see the translation of Elijah, and then we're going to see the recognition of Elisha. Keep in mind, as we saw in our introduction last week, that Israel is now divided into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom, and the northern kingdom was ruled by godless men and women. They have turned their hearts over to idolatry. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see that a king from the northern kingdom did what was right in the sight of God. Then there's the southern kingdom. They had their share of the godless, but there was the godly as well. But one of the main problems, especially with the current king Jehoshaphat, he was greatly influenced by the evilness of the northern kingdom. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good man, sought after the Lord, but he did allow himself to be influenced by keeping that bad company. Now, keep in mind, during this time, through the disobedience of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and really as we look at the, especially the Old Testament as a whole, what has God done? Well, God has given his word. Now, it was the duty of the king, we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 17, when the king ascended to the throne, he was to write out by hand the first five books of the Bible. This way he would know how to direct 
and instruct his people. He would be without excuse. And so God has sent his word for that purpose. But as we'll see through as we go through the Old Testament, when man ignores his word, God raises his voice by sending a prophet. The prophet is based upon the word of God. So once again, we looked at last week, we saw a lot of times a prophet is lumped with those who maybe predict the future of a te- or foretell of a future event. And there is truthfulness to that, but the main purpose of a prophet was to speak forth the word of God. So God sent his word. Man's not following his word. God raises his voice by the sending of a prophet. When man ignores the prophet, then God sends trials. And so the happening of chapter 2, the happenings of chapter 2 occur between two bad kings of the north. We saw Ahaziah last week and we saw his death. His brother, Jehoram, he's the one who ascended to the throne of the northern kingdom, again, after Ahaziah's death. Ahaziah did not have a male heir, so Ahaziah's brother took over the throne. Keep in mind who these two young men are. They are the sons of Ahab and Jezebel. And so we're seeing just the totality of evilness here. So it's in the midst of that that we see what's going on in chapter 2. So even during the most evil of times of mankind, God's continuing to do his work. Something we need to see, we need to understand, and it probably should be part of the theme of what we're looking at here, is nowhere in the scriptures are we to depend upon any one man. As far as the course of history, God brings men into history and he takes men out of history according to his desires, according to the leading of his heart. And so our hope is not upon any man. We know our hope is upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to look at first is the translation of Elijah. And in that, we're going to see how the Lord has decided to take Elijah unto himself. So at this time... It's around 848 B.C. And although there are many prophets, we are not told of all the prophets that existed in the Bible. We're not told of all the men and all the miracles that God did. John even said there was many more things that the Lord did, which he didn't even have room to write. We saw that in his gospel on Thursday night. And so there was a lot of things that were going on. But We see Elijah, who is God's most biblically noted mouthpiece at this time, this man who God works through. He has spent the majority of his ministry speaking against the apostasy of the northern kingdom and its influence upon the southern kingdom and definitely the detriment, how it's been to the detriment of the people of those kingdoms. Now, in the wisdom of God, comes a time for a translation. So once again... God is going to be glorified. And so God's got reason and purpose for all that he does. And so God in his sovereignty has determined that the days of Elijah are up. And now this man who is going to step forward and God is going to use from this point on is going to be Elisha. And so two completely different men. There's just, I don't know why their names are so similar, but they were. But we need to draw a distinction between the two. God has used Elijah, and now his will for this man is coming to an end. Now, last week we saw, and again, this is a perfect picture, that Elijah was a man of God who was a stranger in the land of the godless. He was a godly man, but it was just temporary. He's a soldier. He's a pilgrim. 
is time is temporary, just as all of us are. And really what we're going to see here is, as most of you know, is, is a picture of the rapture in a little bit. We'll look at that, and we're not going to devote the study to that, but we will look at elements of that. But God's got this man here temporarily for God's purposes, and at this point he has fulfilled his purposes, and now God is going to snatch him out of this life. Now, I compared him last week to this reality in all of our lives is that one day you'll either hear in the church bulletin or see in the newspaper, Pastor Mike's dead. He's gone to be with the Lord. And at that time, I won't really be dead. I'll be more alive than I have ever been. But nonetheless, it's going to happen to all of us. That's where I see the value of doing funerals. Now, since everybody is going to die, none of us really cease to exist. Well, none of us at all cease to exist. When we leave this world, some will go to glory. I pray that everybody in this room. Others, though, are going to be cast out into outer darkness. Either way, all of mankind, and this is something that we need to consider, all of mankind, believer or unbeliever, is eternal. There never any human being that has ever lived, every single one of those human beings that have ever lived, will always exist for all eternity. As I've said before, the question is location, location, location. That means everything. Where are you going to spend eternity? Well, if you're a born-again believer, it's in the presence of God. If somebody has rejected Jesus Christ, which is the blasphemy <clears throat> excuse me, of the Holy Spirit, then they are going to still live for eternity but it's going to be apart from God. So all of mankind is eternal, but our time here on earth will determine where we reside after we leave this earth. And so first point, first point I want to make is a moving on, and again, it's the moving on of Elijah. Look down at verse 4 through 7. Then Elijah said to him, <clears throat> excuse me, Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to, the Jor- on to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Some sort of divine revelation of God has made it clear that Elijah... Elijah was going to be leaving. His time here on earth is over. It became very obvious to him. Why is he going to journey to these different places? I believe he's going to the people that he's been preparing for the work of ministry. We see these schools of prophets that exist. And I would imagine not only was he going to tell them of what is going on, because obviously they know either that or they receive direct knowledge from the Lord. They're prophets as well but also that they would see Elisha as their new leader. And we'll see where God confirms that in just a little bit. So the sons of the prophets, these are a group of men 
who were called to handle God's word. Keeping in mind what a prophet is, he is one who speaks forth the word of God. That's the primary purpose of a prophet. Everybody who has written a book of the Bible is a prophet, has been used by God for the purpose of prophecy. That's Old Testament and New Testament. Today, we do not need, at least in the church, that type of Old Testament prophet because we have the written word of God. Now, we're always wondering, what about the native on the desert island? Well, I can see how God would send a prophet there, somebody to speak forth the word of God if, in fact, they do not have the written word of God. But a prophet's prophecies are always based upon God's word. If they're contrary to God's word, then that prophet is not of the Lord. And so even though we are told today that prophecy is a gifting, the gifting still has to be developed. And so that's, that, that's crucial to understand. If God has gifted you, you still need, and this is not an act of the flesh, it's just how God has determined we are to be, you still need to develop that gifting. An athlete, what's going to make the difference when he competes? It's those who have prepared for the contest. You may have two equally gifted athletes in their athletic ability, but the one who is going to win is the one who has the desire and who has put forth the time into developing that gift. He's going to be the one who prevails. And so this isn't just a class where, hey, who wants to be a prophet? But these are men who are called by God, and Elijah is putting forth the effort to develop these men. I would imagine if you had me listen to one of... Well, every once in a while, if I'm doing a Bible study, maybe a cross-reference, and I want a little bit more insight, I'll use myself as a commentary. I'll go back to maybe when I I taught a section of Scripture. So let's just say, for instance, one of the earliest books of the Bible that I had taught when we first started was Matthew. And let's just say I have a question or just want a little bit more insight. And so I'll go to my study in Matthew. Now I I gave that study in... in, um, September, I started in September of 1998. And there's been times when I go to those notes looking for it, and I'm looking at these notes and I'm thinking, what in the world do these notes mean? How in the world did I give a Bible study off of these notes? Because I've changed. I pray, I've grown, hopefully I've developed. And it needs to be the same way with us all in our spiritual gifting. And I'll ask you, have you developed in your spiritual gifting? Now, I've got a greater opportunity because of the blessing God has given me to be here on staff and spend my time, so I have a responsibility to have grown at a greater degree than, let's just say, the average person. But again, it's all of the Lord, and the gifting of, is of the Lord, but then God gives the responsibility to us to grow. I've got a right arm that's been given to me by God, and I can use it for God's glory or not. I need to exercise that arm to keep it healthy and and to strengthen it. There came a time when I had surgery on my right shoulder and my arm had atherpied because I had it in a sling for six weeks. Again, I remember, I say again because I've told this before, but I looked in the mirror and it looked like somebody let all the air out. I mean, it didn't take long for it to reduce. And how about your spiritual gifting? Does it look like it's deflated as well? We need to consider that because... Everybody who is a born-again believer has been gifted by God for the purpose of serving him. So are you exercising that spiritual gifting would be the question, or is it something that has atrophied? 
So if you notice Elisha's three denials of his master's request, and what does it mean? Why did his master keep asking him to wait there and not go with him? What I really believe, and we're not plainly told this, but just how the story plays out, at least the remaining of the chapter, I really believe it was to test the man's heart. It was to test the man's heart. Now, why does God test us? God tests us not to reveal ourselves to him. He already knows what we're going to do. He already knows what our answer is. God tests us in order to reveal ourselves to ourselves, and I really believe in this purpose, so that we would see the heart of the man, Elisha, as well. And so what is he testing? He's testing this man's dedication to God's given teacher the man who God has given him in order to teach him, to mentor him, to instruct him. I'm doing this study, and I realize that this is part of the ministry that God has given me, and not just from the pulpit, but needs to be done in a personal way. We're going to be doing, instead of men's small group this year, starting the first or second week of October, we're going to be doing a class that is meant to mentor men in their Christian faith. I'll be teaching that class. Secondly, to test his dedication to his training and leadership. Are you ready to take up the mantle of leadership, Elisha? And so this man is staying dedicated to what he knows he's been called to. And also it's going to be a revelation of his heart. His heart is to do what God has called him to do, and even Elijah is not going to hinder him from doing that. And so... We see these two men, it reminded me of Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they agree? Well, they obviously are in agreement. There's the solidarity of ministry as they're moving forward. For Elijah, it's going to be all the way to the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Well, if this man is taking the role of leadership, he had best be a faithful, a, a man who is faithful in the midst of that ministry because during these evil times, especially of the northern kingdom, faithfulness of those who are godly depends upon it. Our faithfulness today, as so many churches have become apostate, they've gone in a completely different direction from the Word of God, and after the ideas of men, it's necessary that we stay faithful in the Word of God. Keep in mind, this is the Word of God. God knew how things would be in 2017 and in the future, but still, the Word given some 2,000 years ago and beyond, it was sufficient then, It is sufficient today. We need to stay faithful in what God has given us. We'll see later that Elisha, he passed this test. So there's going to be a moving on. Moving on can be hard, but God works change for the good. So after the moving on, we're going to see a walking through. Look at verses 8 through 10. Now Elijah took his mantle, this covering, kind of this jacket, and rolled it up and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. This is more than likely the Jordan River. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Now, my wife, this is right in the vicinity of Jericho. 
My wife and I, when we were in Israel, we were in this general area. The Jordan River, I would say, from what I remember, is maybe from this chair to that wall in width. But still, something obviously very substantial to see this divided. Now, it does flood over from time to time, but let's just look at it about that, about that size. And so, why the striking of water? Why is this necessary? And it's a lot more than just to get to the other side. Well, there's something unique about God's word. I mean, there's a lot of things unique about it, but something that was striking here with Elijah. Elijah. So many times in the scripture, and I'm going to read a few of them, the Lord has made a point of tying together the ministry of Moses with the ministry of Elijah. The Jews grasped this concept as they would refer to the Old Testament as the book of Moses and the prophets. And so there would be this I would say, obvious joining together of the two because Moses, the law, is the revealed word of God and the prophet was, to say, centered upon the revealed word of God. So you can see how it was natural to tie the two together. But I brought up some biblical comparisons. Both Moses and Elijah, they were able to divide bodies of water. Moses, the Red Sea, and Elijah, the Jordan River. Both of them called down fire from heaven. We saw that last week in our study in chapter 1. Also Moses with the plagues upon Egypt. Thirdly, both men saw the Lord provide food. Moses, the manna and the quails. Elijah, the oil and the flour for the widow, plus his own meals when we first saw him back in 1 Kings. In the land of Egypt, Moses prayed and God altered the weather. Elijah prayed and God stopped the rain and then three years later started the rain again. Fifthly, Moses gave the law to the people of Israel and Elijah called them to repent and to return to the law of God. Sixthly, both were associated with mountains. For Moses, it was Sinai. For Elijah, it was Carmel. Both of them made journeys through the wilderness. Seventhly, both men had unique endings in their life. God buried Moses in a grave that nobody can find, and God carried Elijah to heaven by a whirlwind. Eighthly, both Moses and Elijah were privileged to be present with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then ninthly, you can take it or leave it, but many believe that Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses that are mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 11. But again, I believe the main correlation we need to see here lies in their dedication to the word of God. That's really what's going to have impact and true, true impact within the lesson that is being spoken of. And so, because of Elisha's dedication and faithfulness, Elijah wants to do something for his disciple. He wants to do something for his student. And so, he, he asked them, verse 9, And so it was when they had crossed over, Elijah asked Elisha, What may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let me a double portion of your spirit be upon me. <clears throat> of all that he could ask for, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So first of all, we've got to consider what is the spirit. Now, the translators of the Bible, 
Now keep in mind, this was up to the translators of the Bible because at least in the Greek, I don't recall in the Hebrew, but at least in the Greek, everything was in uppercase. And so a lot of times in ours, when you see the word spirit, the word spirit, when it refers to Holy Spirit, is in uppercase, the S is capitalized. When it refers to the spirit of a person or the personality of a person, it's in lowercase. So here we have it in lowercase. Now, what I really believe it is, it's the Holy Spirit that has influenced this man. When you have somebody who is under the influence of the world, they're very worldly. Their spirit is very worldly. When you have a born-again believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit, their spirit is very godly. They're compassionate. Well, they're exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. And so Elijah has exhibited God working in and through his life. And so Elisha says, that's what I want. That's what I want. And and that's the reason why we look at people who are examples as they are exemplifying Christ that others, and we pray that we're doing the same thing, would look upon us or as we look upon them, I want to be a godly man such as that person is. I want to have a dedication. I want to have a prayer life that we would be influenced that way and we in turn would be influencers. So really what he is looking at here, where his desire, his passion is, he wants to be, well, he's seeing God in Elijah and he sees this manifest in the spirit or the personality of Elijah and that's what he wants for himself. Now, what does he ask for? He asked for a double portion of this. Well, to the Jewish mind, this would be the inheritance right of the eldest son who would have the authority over the remaining members of the family once the father was gone. So in actuality, what Elisha is asking from Elijah is to be his successor. I want to be used how God used you. I want to be part of the people or the person who trains up these younger guys. I want to stand in the gap and the things that are going on in this country, both the northern and the southern kingdom. I want to be the one who stands for righteousness in these days of apostasism that I would be able to exemplify God to the next generation and the generation after that and so on and so forth. And so you can see when he says in verse 10, so he said, you have asked a hard thing. I would imagine Elijah is thinking, I I don't really have the authority to do that. He says, nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. And so if God gives you this vision, then imagine God has placed that upon Elijah's heart to tell his disciple that if you see me taken away then God has answered your question to the positive if I'm gone and you don't see it then he has answered it to the negative he's got somebody else for that position so we've seen him moving on that Elijah his days here on the earth are coming to an end a walking through and we see the correlation between Elijah and Moses and God just working through this man all the way through to the end And now we're going to look at a taking up, verses 11 and 12. Then it happened. So he's trying to get our attention here. As they continued on and talked, then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 
And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them, or speaking of mourning, and tore them into two pieces. Now, first thing I just want to point out, because I hear this so often, and as I look at chapter 2, verse 1, the various chapters in my Bible are entitled, and it says here, chariot of fire takes Elijah. It wasn't a chariot of fire that took him, it was the whirlwind that took him. Why do I think that's important? Because I was reading some book, and the book was about alien invasions and, and the existence of aliens and whatnot, and this was one of the proof texts that they used to describe the aliens coming down and taking Elijah back at this chariot of fire. And they went through this whole description of how a chariot of fire, well, to the mind of that day, a flying saucer, that would be the only way that they would be able to describe it. And I'd agree with that in principle. But it's not the chariot of fire that took him. It was the whirlwind that took him. If we're going to be well-versed in proper biblical doctrine, we need to be good in the details. It's a minor detail for the most part. No great theology really hinges upon it, but we need to understand these things. And so again, the Bible tells us that the Lord numbers our days and Elijah's days are up. Elijah, he's been faithful himself and he's walked with God in all that he's been called to do. And then God God snatched him. God took him unto himself. Now, okay, so what are the chariots of fire? First of all, I don't believe that it's a flying saucer. But what I do believe it is, it's a description of the glory of God. It's just a simple description of God's glory. Because who took, who, who took Elijah? You know, if, if it just disappeared. You know, the, the rapture is going to come. And one day, there's going to be the church as it disappears. And I've got to imagine during that time, there will be a believer talking to an unbeliever, and boom, he's just gone. Now, back during this time, and understand the concept, it's not real clear in the Word of God, so God gives a visualization at that time. But in the time of the future, when the rapture does occur, the Word of God is going to be that which was there before the rapture, and it's going to flow through after the rapture. And just as always, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So we have the Word of God to describe that. But here we've got two great pictures. First of all, again, we've got this description, this chariot of fire, a description of the glory of God. The glory of God is always an acknowledgement of the presence of God. And so the idea is the knowledge that Elijah was taken unto the Lord. And so we know that, so they know that, and so that they understand that. But now, as he was taken up, he was taken up in a whirlwind. Whirlwind is a description of some sort of storm. And in the scriptures, these storms, time and again, are a picture of the power of God. And so I understand that on the day of the rapture, it's by the Lord that we're going to the Lord. And how are we raptured? We're raptured by the power of God. Nobody could possibly cause that to happen. Storm here is used to remind us of the thunder and the lightnings on both Mount Sinai when the law was given, but Mount Calvary when grace came to fruition. And so you've got both of these descriptions that we would just simply know that this is God working. Elisha seemed to understand that concept. And so here there's Elijah there one minute 
and he's gone the next. Just want to take a few minutes, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to go through the rapture. We, we, we were there not too long, I think it was this past year, but for those of you who are unaware of it, we'll just go through it real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Why do I take this little detour? Because how verse 13 starts, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, I think the greatest ignorance within the church today is end-time theology, and especially the rapture and the details of the rapture. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, is the biblical description of the rapture to the T. Now, there are some people that the rap- say, some good people that say in this Calvary Chapel that the rapture happens before the time of tribulation. It's what we believe. It's what I teach. There are others believe that it happens in the midway point. There are others that will say that it happens at the end. But the fact of the matter is it does happen. So it's important to understand that we believe that God takes us out. He snatches us away. He has not called us to the tribulation. So verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now he's talking about born-again believers of that day who have died. You know, what had happened? I thought Jesus Christ was coming back, but we're seeing born-again believers die. So Paul wants to gather their attention and give them instruction. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, as a pastor, I've done funerals of believers, and I've done funerals of unbelievers. I've done funerals of believers that I see how hope is just reigning within their lives. They know that that person is with the Lord, and they know that one day they'll be with them as well, and it's just truly a celebration. Then I've seen the despair of those who have no hope. And as they have no hope, at death, everything just falls apart. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So, you have the church age. This is the age that we live in. At some point, the father is going to say, that's it. He's going to tell the son to go get your bride. And the day that the son goes to get the bride is the day of the rapture. It's the end of the church age. The rapture is what signifies the end of the church age. And then we're going to be starting that beginning of that seven years of tribulation. That being the case, the idea here is now there can be some confusion because Jesus is coming for the church. And then we've heard of the second coming, which seems to be a completely separate thing. And so... What you have in the second coming is the second coming of Christ upon the earth. In the rapture, Jesus Christ comes, but not to the earth. We meet him in the sky. So it's important to differentiate the difference between the two, to see the difference between the two. So in the second coming, that's after the seven-year period of tribulation. But this is the rapture. This is before that. And so if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So what this tells me, as Christ comes for the church, we'll meet him in the air, there's going to be all of the believers that have died before us with him. This is going to be for the purpose of a witness. Things that God does, he does so openly. So let's just say the rapture is going to happen right now. 
So there's Christ. We see Christ in the sky. And everybody who has died previous to this point in time in faith, in Jesus, all the way through, Adam and Eve are going to be there. And Bernice is going to be there. And just, you know, anybody who's recently died, they're all going to be there. So we got that settled. Verse 15. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, if it happened today, this would be us right now, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Well, that just makes sense because we can't precede them because they're already with Christ. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. If you look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, the shout would be that trumpet that sounds during the time of the, the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, that can be kind of confusing because I thought you just said that they were with Jesus. Well, they are. When we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So everybody that died is in some form present with the Lord. But it's during the time of the rapture that they are going to be reunited with their physical bodies. And so those people that come back with the Lord, before we are raptured, they will be reunited with the physical body. Well, what about their bodies who's deteriorated? What if they were cremated? The Catholic Church used to, I don't know if they still do, they forbade cremation because of this reason. Well, the same God that put me together from nothing is able to gather all of those molecules back up and stick them together and make a brand new mic. I'm never going to sell God short in anything that he is able to do. So that is going to occur right, this is probably all going to happen in a matter of seconds, but just before we die. So, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They will be reunited with this physical body in a spiritual sense. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up or snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, you have those who have died. They're going to be reunited with their physical bodies. Now, this is a physical body, but it's going to be in a spiritual sense. It's going to be able to be in the presence of God. No longer will sin have an effect upon it. We will be able to recognize one another. I don't know if you're going to look like a baby or going to look like an old man or woman or somewhere in between all the silly stuff and silly arguments. God's already got it figured out. Don't worry about it. But then, us who are raptured, we are going to be translated instantly. We are going to be, we're not going to suffer death if we are here during that time, but these physical bodies will be changed in the same body that those who have gone before us will have. And so then we will always be together with the Lord. And so going back to 2 Kings with Elijah, we've got a bit of a picture of this that we will be able to understand that even as God was able to do it back then, God is able to do it today. Just a little side note, notice how Elijah refers to his master in verse 12 as the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Later on, Elisha 
will be described in the same manner. In 2 Kings verses 13 through 14, Elisha has become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him, wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And so the idea is the prophet, as they're the ones who give the word of God, this is the glory of God to all of Israel. This is where Israel's strength comes from, the word of God. And so this is an acknowledgement, first by Elisha to Elijah, and later on by King Joash to Elisha as well. Next, we see the recognition of Elisha. First, in the recognition of Elisha, we have a proclamation, verses 13 and 14. He, Elisha, now Elisha is out of the picture, so we end the confusion between the names now. Elisha, verse 13, he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. With God's recognized man gone, Elisha is wondering, is God gone as well? It's the reason for the question in verse 14. Lord, are you still with us? Where are you, Lord? And so as he is able to divide that river, It just shows that God is still with him. God is still amongst his people. And really, God has answered his request. He has seen the the taking of Elijah, but now he also sees that the spirit that was upon Elijah is also upon him. In John chapter 14, 12, we are told, Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. And so the ministry of Elisha, he's got great opportunity. So the recognition of Elisha, we see a proclamation, but we also see a confirmation, verses 15 through 18. Now when the sons of prophets who the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, and they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Least perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, He shall not send anyone. Why would he say that? Because he saw him taken up in the world when he knows that he's with God. Verse 17, but when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men and they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back for him, came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? And so the confirmation, authority has been given, but authority also must be proven. Just because the Spirit of God is upon you, you need to move forward in obedience. And so there's a transition here. It's a hard thing. I remember when we started the church. When we started the church, the vast majority, 99% of the people, came from Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. Pastor David encouraged them to come over and to plant the church here in Ontario. And there was a huge transition there. A lot of people 
maybe they called me pastor, but didn't really recognize me as pastor. And I heard a lot, well, Pastor David would never do this. Pastor David would never do that. And so it takes a while for that recognition to come about, to people to recognize that. And so what are they doing? They're looking for the one that they've always depended upon, the one who was their leader, although he's no longer there. And that mantle has now been passed to Elijah. And so today, I consider this from time to time, am I the pastor of this church? Only if you say so. Only if you say so. When you determine that I'm no longer the pastor of this church, then no longer will I be the pastor of this church. You do get a vote. I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. I might be cast out right now. But if you stop giving and you stop coming, then if I stand up here and I'm speaking to myself, it's not going to be a good thing. Or even if my wife still comes, then that just tells me something, that I'm no longer the pastor of this church. So a man is only the pastor if the people say so. doesn't matter what the bulletin says. In Matthew seven twenty, therefore by their fruits you will know them. And so it's time to move forward here. It's time to move forward, and the only way to move forward is through the letting go of the past, and so that process probably was necessary that they would now understand who God's got in place. Thirdly, the recognition of Elisha. Well, we saw a proclamation, a confirmation, and now a demonstration. First in demonstration is a healing, verses 19 through 22. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of the city is, is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then they went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it. There shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Those are the first, well, really the second miracle because he did part the Jordan River. But again, God's using this to confirm who he is. So I just figured It says to this day, it was the day that this was written, but what about today? And so I I looked it up. Was there a spring in the area of Jordan? And there is a spring. It's called the Spring of the Sultan. And it is there to this day. And again, the things that are mentioned in the Bible, you should be able to be, you should be able to confirm these things. I mean, the reality of these things, because if this is true, it's going to stand strong on the integrity of itself. And so we're able to see these excuse me, see these things. And so what God is doing here, he's confirming that his hand is with this man. Next in this demonstration, well, we saw a healing, but we're also going to see a cursing. Verse 23. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you ball-headed, go up, you ball-headed. You just kind of keep in mind when you're dealing with bald-headed people that you better be respectful. Verse 24, so he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. doesn't say they killed them. Maybe they did, but they did beat them up a bit. Verse 25, and when he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. So... What were they doing? I think they were doing what the world does today. They'll mock you for maybe being born again. 
hear about the rapture that's kind of too big for them and they'll maybe mock you because of the rapture or eternal life or maybe even heaven and they'll mock you because of that. Words more than likely gone out of what happened to Elijah that he has gone up into heaven. And so that's what they're doing. They're mocking him. Hey, you go up too. And as they did, well, we see that this curse of the bear to them was something that is according to God's word. In Leviticus 26, 21 through 22, then if you walk contrary to me, this is God speaking through Moses, and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. Later on, the Lord's going to send wild beasts of Assyria to Israel and Babylon to Judah. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is God's man. And, what, and it's important for us to know that as we go forward on here in our study through Second Kings. But nonetheless, God is confirming his person. God does that. Not just the person behind the pulpit. God will confirm you as his God will confirm your leadership. God will confirm the teachers. God does this so that we know and we understand that his hand is in the midst of the ministry. He confirms the churches itself. And as we see these confirmations, we need to see the responsibility that we have. The responsibility that we have in order to have respect from those who God has placed over us and be dedicated to the ministry that God has given us. And so we see this great transition that has come about. We saw a picture of the rapture here. We see that Elijah was dedicated to raising up future generations because he wasn't going to be around forever. And we see the men that he placed his hand upon, that they're continuing steadfast in the ministry because the ministry is never dependent upon any one person. The ministry is dependent upon the living God. Father, once again, we just thank you that you have given us your word, that it confirms so much within our lives. And I just pray, Father, that we would, we would be desirous of that double blessing. We would be desirous of the ministry of those who have gone before us, that, Father, we can so read about the giants of the faith. But, Lord, we've got the ability to be tall in our faith today. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take up the mantles of those who have preceded us and that, Father, we will continue to move steadfast in your will and in the direction that you have set before us. Lord, I lift up those who have come out tonight. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would use them in the week to come. Thank you for those who are here this morning and pray the same blessings upon them, that, Father, you would be glorified through our words and through our deeds, and that, Lord, we would gather together Once again, Lord, to be taught in your word. I pray for the women's small groups that are starting this week. I pray for Thursday night as we'll be studying or starting the book of Jeremiah. And God, just all that we do, pray, Father, that we would have a heart just for you and your will and your desires, we ask in Jesus' name.